welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey. She's fully Hunter Osborne and this is Inside Exec. In this session we're continuing our discussion with Paul Comfort and we pick up talking about the book that he has put together with some other CEOs in the transportation and mass transportation fields. In all of those stories, was there anything unexpected? that came out of it? Yes. What was unexpected was I asked each of them to write us write a chapter about decision they made in their life when they had to go full throttle, when they had right. to go for it. One of them wrote, which is a really good analysis. This was a story about when you have to move for your work. And Brad Thomas, the president mm-hmm. of First Transit, was you know like a regional guy. And then they offered him the job of president of the company, but he had to move his whole family from upstate New York to Cincinnati, Ohio, which was a big move. And so he goes through in the chapter the decision-making process, how to analyze when you're offered a chance to move for work, mm. how to actually, you know, what kind of decisions should you be thinking about right then and then for your kids and your spouse and going forward and what are you looking for in the company? Is it a new company or is this a company you've been with for a long time or you've got history with them? He goes through a lot of stuff, which I think is, would be very helpful for people because a lot of people get asked to move for their jobs do, and yeah. people are like, they're only thinking about the moment. And they're not thinking about the bigger picture. I did that once. I moved for a job. I, I never thought I would leave where I live, which is the eastern shore of Maryland. It's God's country. You call it beautiful over here. But I moved to a place near Washington, D.C. for five years for a job. And it turned out I only stayed there for five years. Exactly. And yet we sold our house and then we bought a house there. And then we had to sell that house to move back. And so, you know, I learned a lesson, yeah. which was I would rent next time. Right? You know, yeah. I wouldn't buy because it's a big hassle and I lost money in the process and all that. So these are the kind of lessons that the book talks about. Yeah. And then if yeah. I could just share just a moment on yes. Robbie Mackinac, uh, the CEO of Kansas City. Just one day, man, he woke up and he, his eyes were going. And it was just over a matter of a couple of days. He lost his eyesight over, over a short, very short period of time. And basically the nerves, behind, they have a name for it, but the nerves behind his eyes basically died. He went to the Mayo Clinic and all these places and they couldn't fix him. And he was a social worker and he was on the board of his local transit agency called the Kansas City Area Transit Authority. He did what all of us would do probably. You know, he kind of lost hope. You know, kind of, he said, I went into a curl up and die mode or curl mm-hmm. up and cry mode, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. How am I going to support my family? You know, he had wife and two kids and just very upsetting to him. And then one day when they were driving, his wife was driving and he heard his son crying in the back seat. And he said, what's wrong, son? He said, well, I'm just wondering, is this going to happen to me? Mm. And uh, it really shook him and realized yes. that, you know, he needed to get out of his self-pity right, and make the most of his life and go full throttle. Not let this, this thing, which was at the end of his comfort zone, so to speak, you know, losing his sight as an adult, not let that define him. So he doesn't even like to use the word disability. He calls it diversability. And he says that losing his sight gave him new vision for his transit system. He was in the board of the transit system, and now he's forced to use the paratransit, which is, you know, vans for people with disabilities. And, yes. and, and trying to get the meetings and things like that, he realized that it wasn't run very well. There wasn't good connections between cities and the area. And he realized, man, all these people with disabilities are having to ride this van service and None of us on the board have ever really had to do it. Now I have to because I can't see. We've mm. got to fix this. Mm. And so he, that propelled him. He ended up being named chairman of the board and then made CEO by the board so he could actually run the agency. And he created America's first real kind of Uber for people with disabilities. Oh, um, and it's run by a contract, a company called TransDev. And basically it's called Ride KC Freedom. And if, you have a, if you're certified, you have an ADA, American Disabilities Act Disability, you can not just make a reservation 
for one day to seven days in advance, which is normally the rule in America. You can do it right then. They'll come pick you up right then uh, mm -hmm. with a wheelchair lift equipped vehicle if, if you need one. And now they've expanded it to everyone. But the people that don't have diverse abilities or disabilities pay a little bit more, and they help subsidize the rides yeah. for the people with disabilities. And Robbie just made national news this last week when he called for making all of public transit free uh, or making public transit free in Kansas City, most of the, or many of the heavily used routes. And he and I have been talking about that as a theme that we both wanted to pursue. He recently spoke at my Transit Unplugged Live CEO roundtable in April in Tampa, Florida, and we talked about he talked about it publicly there. And now the, the new mayor of the city tweeted, it was a newspaper this week, you know, I think Robbie's right. Let's see if we can make this happen. So, again, this guy who lost his sight, I mean, that's probably one of the worst things anything any of us could think of happening to us. But he did not let that stop him. For a while, obviously, it was a punch to the gut. But uh, he got himself together and decided to let that adapt mm -hmm. and, and let that problem in his life actually propel him to new heights. So those are some of the cool stories that are in the book, and I think they are motivating and inspiring to all of us. Yeah, sure are. That's a very, very good story to share. Just in terms of that move to making a decision about the free travel, would you say that that's a quantum leap in transportation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, cities like like Melbourne and downtown. Yeah. I was riding their tram system, which yeah. is run by Yara Trams, yeah. and uh, Nicholas runs it there. My my buddy who's CEO there, he's actually a guest on one of the podcasts. I wrote it, man, and it's amazing, and it's packed with people, and it's free, and it's easy to use. One of the things that does when you do free transportation is it helps your system run more on time. Because a lot of the problems are when you have to go to the fare box when you get on the vehicle. I'll give you an example. In Baltimore City, we analyzed how much time was being spent by people buying what's called day passes, where for $4.10, you could buy a pass where you could ride the bus or the light rail system or the subway system interchangeably all day for $4.10. But most people were buying them at the fare box. And so they'd come on and they'd give the driver $4.10. The driver would have to type some information to the fare box. A ticket would pop up. They would give it to the person, and that took on average 30 seconds. And we figured out that that was 56,000 wasted hours, mm. you know, man hours, as they call yeah. it, woman hours, whatever, yeah. of time at the fare box. And then all these people are standing behind them waiting to get on the bus while this guy or gal is doing this. And it just mm. – it makes the bus run slower, not on time, and you can't open all the doors. You can only open the front door. Most buses have another set of doors, but people getting on the back door wouldn't necessarily – pay the fare, you know, so uh, light rail systems and tram systems across America, uh, most of them have what's called an honor system where you don't have to pay the fare when you get on, you, you tap and go, new technology, yeah. so yeah. some cities in, in Europe are looking at free transit, but it's a big deal, you have to come up with the money to replace it, so in Baltimore, for example, we were collecting $70 million a year in cash, and I calculated the cost, the total cost of all the staff to count the money and to transport it and all it was 20 million dollars we were chasing 70 million with 20 million to, to get it and it just seemed like man if we come up with 50 million bucks we can make transit free um and uh what a, what a blessing that would be to people you know who have low income or can't get around and so i think it's a new concept and in some places it's not going to be accepted but in other places i think especially when you got leaders like robbie mackinnon where they can make the case for it I think uh, it, it, it may not go on all routes. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. We had a commuter train line in Maryland that went into Washington, D.C., and the, we did you know salary surveys, and the average people on the, on the train made over $100,000 a year. But the average people riding our bus system and our subway system made a lot less than that. So maybe it wouldn't make sense to make the commuter train for free, but maybe the inner city 
transit, you know, where people don't have as much money, that's something that could be considered. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know, there's there's new autonomous vehicles that are being tried all over the world. Yeah. These are these uh, like 12 passenger vehicles with yeah. no drivers. Yeah. Most of them are are free. They're letting them run for free because it's kind of a pilot. And that may be a way to get the camel under the tent's nose, you know, the camel's mm-hmm. nose under the tent yeah. <laughs> uh, is to with the pilot yeah, programs and yeah. say, you know, it's free and light rail systems. A lot of them are run on the honor system where you have to get the card. It's not for everyone. I'm not 100 percent on board in every city, but I think it is. It would be a quantum leap for a lot of cities. Yeah. 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 You touched there a little bit on technology in terms of a challenge for CEOs in this environment. Do you see the, the greatest challenge being technology or managing people? Yeah, I think it's technology yeah. by far. We've always had to manage people and lead people. And there is, you know, it's a whole new workforce now. I've done a couple uh, articles on this for the Eno Foundation and spoken at conferences about, you know, Generation Z and X and what they want, how they want their their job to not just be a paycheck, but they want it to be fulfilling. They want to fulfill their life's goals through their job, and they want it to mean something more than just, you know, standard pay and benefits. So we do have a different type of workforce today, but I think people can learn about that and can, can really lead well there. But the technology is changing so rapidly. Stuff that we're talking about now wasn't even thought of two mm. years ago. Yeah. Public transit, et cetera. I mean, you know, it's the real Dick Tracy era. You know, back <laughs> when I was a kid, I'm 50 years, a little over 50, and, you know, we used to see these comic strips where Dick Tracy would have a watch yes. on his arm, you know, with a little TV screen on it. He could talk to people on it. And we always thought that was so far out science fiction. Well, obviously yeah. now it's, it's much less fiction and much more science. Uh, and everything is being managed by our phone. You can tap and go your phone mm. to pay for transit. And every six months, the technology is like revolutionized. In the public transit world, I think other than medicine, we're one of the one of the most leading mm. technology industries in the world. I mean, yeah. think about Hyperloop, autonomous vehicles, mm. and microtransit, using your phone to not only pay for your system, your transit, but there's something called mobility as a service, which started in Helsinki, Finland, and now is going all over the world, where basically people with one app, you can journey plan your trip, and you can include taxi cabs, mm. Lyft, bikes, scooters, buses, everything all in one. And in some cities, like Helsinki and others, are looking to even do um, monthly subscriptions. So it'll help people real think that, you know, hey, our family can get away with only one car, not two, yes. because anything we need to do in the city, we've got a monthly subscription. Yeah, we yeah, can ride unlimited yeah, transit. Yeah. We have so many rides on this and that and the other. We can do it all on our app and plan your trip for the fastest way to get there or the cheapest way to get there or whatever. Some people are even talking about are, are experimenting with things like the, the most fun way to get there. So you get your <laughs> ride on, based on what you think is fun. So it's personalized is what I'm saying. And so yeah. a good buddy of mine who is CEO of uh, TransDev now, Jan LaRiche, says the future of transportation is pace, personalized, autonomous, connected, and electric. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really good way to kind of summarize it. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about, where you yeah. can have a personalized experience. I mean, eventually, I think within just a couple years, you'll have an autonomous taxi cab or an autonomous vehicle pick you up at your house, no driver. Take you where you want to go. I mean, that's Elon Musk's dream, right? Yes. For all these mm-hmm. Teslas he's sold all have the ability to just turn a switch. And mm-hmm. at nighttime, while you're sleeping, your car is out being a taxi cab, helping you pay for the monthly, you know, the monthly lease or the monthly yeah. payment on your right. car while it's out there picking people up. I mean, that's that, you know, it was science fiction a couple of years ago. And as I mentioned, it's becoming much more science and a lot less fiction. And I think we'll see that within five years. In that sense, because we're talking mass transit systems. Let's say that over the past 20 years, there's been a 
somewhat of a, a downturn in their popularity, not so much their usage, but their popularity. And it would, we look at a generation that wanted to have a car and drive a car rather than have to get the bus or get the train. Do you see that changing so that people now will come back to, tra to public transport systems, to mass transport systems, and that the management of those is going to be far more diversified? Yes. One of the lessons I learned while I was in Australia uh, kind of reiterated to me is the power of rail for mm -hmm. mass transit. Yeah. I mean, there is a, you know, there's a $50 billion push to Australian dollars to add in new rail there. And like you mentioned in Australia and in, in Sydney, they just opened up a brand new subway line, basically, yeah. or metro line. I think that in big cities, nothing's going to touch the ability of rail to move masses of people. Mm -hmm. So what's happened over the last, and there's a lot of discussions about why ridership on traditional transit is down. Across the world, not down everywhere, uh, but North America and England. I was just in uh, the United Kingdom recently and met with their CEOs uh, and leaders, and they were telling me basically it's down there as well. There's a lot of obvious reasons for that. You know, one of them is the uptick in what we were just talking about, Lyft yep. and Uber, and also yep. transit systems now uh, are changing their role and they're becoming what I would call mobility aggregators. And so they're realizing that they can't be all things to all people, mm -hmm. but they can bring together in one service, like mobility as a service, like I was saying, their traditional bus and rail and tram networks. Then they can also partner with people who they used to consider as competitors and uh, put together kind of a cornucopia of options mm -hmm. of mobility. Mm -hmm. And the role of transit agencies is more about public mobility than it is just about running trains on time. That'll still be important, but it'll also be individualized. And helping people, Simon Reed, who is uh, the head of tech, one of the head of technology guys for Transport for London, I just met with him, and he said, you know, instead of having your own app, a transit app, maybe what the future is is that when you go on a movie app and you book your movie for the night that you want to go see at seven o'clock, then after you book it, it pops up on that same app. What are the mobility options to yeah. get there? Yeah. So they don't have to go to a second app. There's different uh, approaches, but all the same answer, which is we're all, you know, all roads lead to Rome. And the answer is transportation mobility is becoming personalized. It's becoming autonomous, which means safer, less costly. And then it is becoming connected. Uh, you know, all the cars and the trucks are all speaking to each other. They're speaking to you on your app where you can track it, see when it's mm -hmm. coming to you. So you don't have to walk out to the bus stop in the rain and wait there 10 minutes. Yes. You can walk out and wait there 10 seconds. And then, you know, electric with the environment and all as it is mm. and people wanting to go green. Most public transit systems across North America are looking to electric or hydrogen or other uh, renewable fuels to help their transit system runs cleaner. And so all that's coming together and it's making transit a much more viable option for people that maybe didn't see themselves as users in the past. They're adapting to this, especially yeah. in the urban areas. And as we know, the world is the global world is becoming urbanized. I was just at the UITP summit, which is like the Worldwide Transportation Association in Stockholm just a couple weeks ago, and held two big CEO roundtables with ten CEOs of transit systems from around the globe. And they were all talking about this move toward globalization, toward the, the global communities becoming urbanized. And the role of public mobility in those cities is now becoming even more critical. That's why a lot of cities are now closing down the central part of the city to regular car traffic, yeah. at least at certain times of the day, yeah. or adding in congestion pricing like London has. And now New York City, it looks like they're going to do it. And Phil Washington, my buddy in L.A., is calling for it there, where if you drive into a city 
where it's all congested, you're going to have to pay a fee at certain times of the day, and that'll help go to fund public mobility. So city leaders are realizing that this is a necessity. It's not just something that, you know, is a nice nicety. It's a necessity. Paul, you've completely exhausted me with all of that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of info. <laughs> it is. And, and I really do appreciate so you putting it to us so well. There's so much for our listeners to think about and to explore we will put all of the links that we've, we've got and you can send us some more for your books and all of the contact details and ways that they can get in touch with you and link up with you and learn about the things that you have just so much information to share on. We really do thank you for sharing it with us and with our listeners today. And uh, as I said, I'm, I'm quite exhausted. But I've just, got, I've just got one more question to ask you. This is a question that we ask all of our, our guests as they come on. If we were having this conversation in 12 months' time, what would you like to look back on and say, I'm so glad I got that done? Oh, that's good. You mentioned earlier that I have a podcast called Transit Unplugged where yes. I interview transit CEOs, and I would encourage your listeners, go to Spotify, Google Play, Apple, whatever, and look up Transit Unplugged. The seven CEOs from Australia called Transit and the Land Down Under, their shows are live now. Right. And so uh, as your listeners listen, so – they're the ones that are most recent. Now we're yeah. going to do the United Kingdom. So I think a lot of your listeners in Australia would mm. learn a lot from hearing those seven top CEOs. But what I'd like to see in 12 months is, as I look back, is I would like to be able to say, you know, the influence that I've been able to have on public transit and public mobility worldwide, that I was able to kind of see the needle move. So the things that I was just talking to you about, that I'm actually able to, you know, while I'm not running a transit system directly, kind of being uh, a force out front and also behind the scenes with talking with all these CEOs, I'm able to help convince them and cajole them and move them in the, in what I think is a good direction to help them really meet the needs. And I, they don't need it. I mean, these guys and gals are brilliant. Most of them are smarter than me, but pulling, pulling all of our heads together through relationships and friendships that I've built. I'm a big people person and I'm all about, you know, the relationships. And mm-hmm. so pulling all of us kind of helping us move in the same direction and seeing public mobility across the world make improvements in the next 12 months, that's what I'd like to see. And it will be done through speaking at conferences, through the podcast, sharing of ideas, uh, writing for all these magazines, Mass Transit. And I encourage your listeners, if any of this is of interest to them, you know, I'm at, at Comfort Paul on Twitter and find Paul Comfort on LinkedIn. I put something up every single day about the need and what's happening, the latest trends, global trends in public transportation. Excellent. We'll put all of those links on the uh, web page as well. We do thank Great. you, Paul, for all your time and all your sharing of knowledge with us. And we wish you a happy Independence Day. Thank you. Later in the week. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, ladies. I appreciate it. it. As I said, all of the links are here on the website for you to contact Paul or to get a copy of his book. But for now, we do thank him for sharing all of that information with us. I'm Kim Bailey, she's Fuliana Osborne, and this is Inside Exec.